Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So like our intro says, on this podcast, we're exploring the varied applications of our engineered solutions and the markets that depend on high-performing equipment, seals, and tools. And today, we're spending some time looking at elastomer sealants for aerospace applications, and we're leaning into the dynamics of a niche industry to get a better, broader sense for the importance of quality, the importance of efficiency, and the importance of customer service. So I'm pleased to be moderating a panel for this conversation with three technetics professionals based out of the UK. Dialing in, we have General Manager Darren Conway, Commercial Manager Rob Payton, and Head of Business Development for Europe and the Middle East, Tom Ludwell. Darren, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Glad, glad to be here. Rob, how about you? Exactly the same, looking forward to it. And Tom, last but not least, how are you today? Yeah, really looking forward to sharing our thoughts with you. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting you all here on this episode of Getting Technetical. So again, since this is a panel, we've got a good structure to make this flow nice and smoothly. Uh, So for our audience, here's kind of what we're going to do with this panel. I'll ask a few open-ended questions for the group, uh, and you all can answer, and it'd be great to hear from each of you at least once on those. If you have something to add, feel free to butt in. We'll really use those broader questions as jumping off points for a larger and longer conversation. I'll also have some questions directed at each one of our guests, at each one of y'all, Darren, Tom, and Rob. Uh, I'll keep those to one extra response from anyone else who's interested. So those are kind of the the rules of the game here, but I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with a broader group question to set the mood here. I think we need to start big picture and simply put, I think we can all agree the aerospace industry is growing and with it, tangential industries are seeing more demand. The, you know, the old adage, rising tides raise all boats. Uh, Airbus alone is forecasting an additional 39,000 new aircrafts are needed in the next 20 years to meet travel demands. And Boeing uh, is seeing similar traffic growth annually. They're clocking it in around 4.3% annually. So that leads to uh, a need for 550,000 new pilots, potentially 640,000 new technicians. Uh, the market is expanding. So the domino effect ripples out. How is this growth impacting the elastomer industry? How are you seeing it linked? Uh, what are those ripple effects for y'all? Wow. Wow. Great question. Um, well, I think, I think in short, the, the, from, from my point of view, what I've seen is that uh, we see uh, a capacity being a, a key sort of challenge in the marketplace. So, so it's great. It's fantastic that the, the sort of the, the aerospace industry is growing and that and the, the need for aircraft has increased. But at the same time, that, that does raise challenges and that we've got to increase uh, capacity in the marketplace. And certainly in the elastomer industry, we've seen challenges where as, as, as there's more demand, um, that has outstripped um, the speed of, you know, how quick we can equip to, to meet that. Um, and, and that has certainly been very, very challenging. That continues to be a challenge. So, but on, on the flip side, that also presents an opportunity um, for newer people to move into the market and uh, sort of uh, sort of grow uh, business and, and develop 
sort of develop where we can go with that? I think for me as well, um, the the newer aircraft coming to market are more complex in some of their geometries and the space envelopes that we have to fill. And the fact is that our seals may only be a few hundred or a few thousand dollars going on a hundreds of thousands or million dollar uh, pieces of equipment and therefore often left till the back end. Yet we're critical to the de- the delivery of any project in aerospace and having fundamentally enough time up front to work in partnership with our customers and the supply chain to get it right. Too often, the pressure is put on the seal supplier to pull back lead times that have been eroded by the high-end engineering of the space envelope that we're going on. I think customers are aware of this. Traditionally, they've used resharing partners to delegate the flow of engineering for different areas of applications, whereas now the the OEs are starting to come directly back to the steel suppliers, and they're taking control of engineering and design. Yeah, I think I think Tom and uh, Rob have got some great great points there. You know, the 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 aircraft become more complex, um, and that that means that the ceiling requirements are more demanding, and, and what you have to produce can be more challenging. But equally to that is an expectation that that product needs to last longer in the marketplace so that people want to people want to have a longer service life on equipment they don't want to change it as many times um, and also the market demands that so if you if you spend a lot of money on an aircraft what you don't want to be doing is is having it on the ground and having it repaired every 5 minutes so right it's it's quite right that the market demands that that product lasts longer um, so with these challenges with an increased volume and increased technical demand it, it certainly uh, creates sort of challenges for developing new products. So, Tom, I've got a question for you here. With this growth, how are you seeing the global supply chain for the aerospace industry shift and adapt to you know, w- what we're seeing to be something estimated at like a 4.3% annual growth rate? Typically within the major companies, um, because they're smaller sections of not typically, or in some cases not typically, polymer-based companies, there isn't the inertia or the requirement to invest in them for future capacity. Therefore, as Darren's already explained, there is a, a void behind those players where a number of companies, and I think Technetics is very well set up with our diversity of product, our technical resource, uh, and our headroom for future capacity, that there is room for new players to come into the market. And actually, you're starting to find the OEs are looking at that resource. You're finding the tier ones are beginning to explore more around who they can use rather than the usual suspects that have been in the marketplace for the last 20, 25 years. Darren, uh, some thoughts from you. As the industry has grown and, uh, you know, the projects that pass by Technetics desk continue to diversify, do you ever find that the company will have to make tough decisions on which projects to take and which to decline? Uh, And what goes into that decision-making process? Yeah, I mean... um... So, so absolutely, um, we we sort of have to evaluate each project um, on its own merit. So, 
for our business here, we we have a core skill strength and a core product strength that we would want to stick to that we see that is in our sort of in our niche. Um, and therefore, if we stick to that, then we can deliver uh, a quality product, a quality service, uh, and and do and do the best we can. And I think. I, you know, what I have seen um, in my years of sort of working in the business is that that where it tend to can go wrong is where people take on products that might not be their core strength, and that and that stretches people away from that, um, and that and that does create difficulty. So, bringing it back to Technetics, I think what we do is we get the projects in, and, and at the very early stage, we evaluate that product and look at the uh, the technical application, the seal type that's required. Um, and sort of uh, and look at that and then decide is that a good fit for Technetics Leicester and uh, and and straight straight away we'll be very clear with the customer and say look this is this is something that we we can manufacture and and we we want to work on uh, and if it's not I think it's a case of being honest and saying no we 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 can't do that and and you know sometimes it can be quite tempting that you know things look very attractive but but ultimately if that's not if that's not where your your sort of skill set and strengths are at, then that's not going to work for us. So, so one thing that I think we've 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 been very good at is saying no to the things that that are not a good fit for us, um, and then focusing on the products that that you know do complement us and work well here. What would you say are some of the long term effects of being pickier with your projects, not just on? Uh, technetics, but also on the industry as a whole? Do you see that having a broader ripple effect? I think for us the benefit is is that we we focus on the products that we are strong at. We uh, new product introduction process is is better. It go it, in bringing that product through to a production phase means that the challenges that you may see are, are reduced, um, and that means that we can we can start delivering a, a quality product faster to market and also delivering it on time, you know, at the right quality level, and that means that we're 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 ticking the box in what we're trying to do with our customer and that and you know that's that's delivering a quality product on time and doing what we say we're doing so i think from our point of view that's the benefit you see it by sort of going away from that and maybe going to a product that that might not sit strong with what we're doing it it might compromise that And, and i think based on my experience and and maybe the guys will sort of chime in on this that that we we want to deliver on what we what we what we take on and and, and deliver a service and and we don't really want to compromise on that it, it benefits the customer as well if they know they're going to get the the relationship and the partnership and the feedback that we always provide and the service that we always provide um they're not going to be spending months working in development circles that end up fruitless they know that once we commit to it we can provide a service and a solution for them so it helps develop that partnership and saves the customer time in the long run. Right. Rob, do you mind uh, giving us some more context on what some of those uh, high-quality products that you do choose to deliver on are uh, and you know how Technetics has honed their competencies around those solutions? Um, we have the benefit of many years of experience between the staff that work here. Uh, we have rubber technologists and experienced engineers and application engineers that are familiar with a multitude of applications across the aircraft. So once we see a package, we're pretty familiar with the the technical requirements or the concerns associated risk that accompany that certain piece of work. 
So from that, we can use our speciality in working on our familiar components, whether they're airframe or engine components or fire seals. We can tap into that knowledge and help provide a quicker solution by understanding what is not required or what to avoid, because they seem to be the general pitfalls when developing new technical products. You don't go through the lessons learned that people have gone through over 20, 30 years in the business just to fall down the same holes. So we can avoid those upfront and give a good quality, reliable service and product at the end of the day to the customer. Yeah, I think I think Rob's right there. I think one of the key elements is that what we try and do is, where possible, create a work at simplicity. Um, I think sometimes the 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 push is to be very complex in your design um, and make that make a, a complex offering, and and sometimes that that doesn't work because it makes it very complex, which makes the manufacturing process complex, which makes the quality standard difficult to reach. So maybe it's done with the best intention, so but it doesn't deliver on what you're trying to achieve. So looking at looking at the product and trying to pick your way around to make it as simple as possible, um, where it still meets the brief, but it it does what's required means that you can make a more repeatable product that that is going to be delivered on time to the right quality and, and meet the brief. It's understanding the key elements of the brief because customers have specifications that are all important, but a fire seal, for example, at the end of the day has to be a fire seal. We then work around different installation methods or ways we can help the customer reduce costs or simplify the, the basic requirements. Yeah, and Rob, right. I mean, it, uh, and people like Rob with it, the experience that he has means that he can sit in a customer and be able to do that. And that is really a, a big benefit. Tom, I want to loop you into this next one here. Uh, so with this kind of, yeah, I would say, unprecedented growth in the aerospace industry, maybe it's it's expected, um, you know, from, from y'all's side of the industry. Um, but from more of an outsider looking in, um, you know, it seems like this is rather explosive growth for the industry. As things have continued to grow, have you seen cost um, you know, in context of a, a general race to the bottom for clients looking for the cheapest option to meet this increased demand, has that acted as any kind of pitfall for the industry? Have you seen any kind of general race to the bottom in that way? Um, yeah, br break that down for me. I, I would say that the race to the bottom probably happened somewhere between six, five years ago. Um, we're now beginning to see that cycle change. Customers are now looking, as Darren's already intimated very clearly, they're looking for a well-engineered solution delivered on time. And again, you're beginning to see not an overriding uh, direction of engineers to commercial, but you're finding engineering teams, uh, the OEMs and tier ones, tier twos, working very closely with their commercial teams so that they understand what goes into the design and development of their products. Therefore, I would actually say we're on the upturn of a cycle where true value is being seen, not bottom line cost. So Tom, let's, let's time travel and go back to that period five or six years ago um, and try to build some context for why it was important to get out of that race at the bottom mindset. Uh, in my opinion, seeing um, 
seeing that kind of relationship in an industry often leads to a lack of uh, robust relationships between clients and you know between manufacturers and um and suppliers or between OEMs and and companies like yourselves they don't really develop as much because the relationship isn't one of how can we build a strong partnership of quality product it's how can we meet the scale of demand uh at you know the the cheapest possible option um how did you see that kind of relationship manifest itself in in that period uh and what do you think it took to get out of that mindset I think what happened, uh, or my opinion on what happened, is that somewhere around 2011, 2012, through to around 2014, 2015, there were so many new-to-market platforms coming out. So you had Boeing 737 Max, A320neo, uh, Bombardier's Global Express, the C-Series, MC-21 coming out of uh, Russia, the Sukhoi out of Russia, um, and the C-900, I think it is, out of Comac. And everyone thought that this was the peak of the market and they had to wrap their arms around everything. It was grab things while you could. Therefore, buyers at the end user felt in a very powerful position um, and price did get dragged down. It got pushed down. And I think engineering sometimes got left till last. The commercial discussion came very early. The design probably followed and thoughts about qualification and costs of redesign weren't even thought about. And a lot of those programs dragged to the right a lot. A lot of them have been through two, three, and sometimes four redesigns for the same program on the same product. Therefore, there's had to be a realignment of the market. Um, As we've said, capacity isn't necessarily there. Therefore, demand is outstripping supply. And I think suppliers have stepped back and thought it's better that we get it right and get it right from an engineering point of view and a financial commercial standpoint than it is to get it wrong because the costs can be huge both to the customer and to the supplier. Yeah, I think I'd I'd add to that as sort of my take on it is, I suppose, and and I think Tom's right about the time with all these programs came out and and I think the challenge was is that everybody quite you know quite rightly what you see is you see a twenty year order book on the table, and quite rightly you want to be part of that. Um, so when it comes for bidding time on these programs that are ten, fifteen years life of program, everybody's bidding for that program. Everybody wants to be on it, and and there might be sort of that view that you bid to get on the program and then work to take the cost out further down the line. Um, and that can be quite challenging, and and I think and I, and I think that some areas of people have seen that, and and that's been quite hard to do, but that still is there in some respects, I think, and um, and and I and I and I think agreeing with 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 Tom is that yeah, a number a number of areas now, area new companies now need to look at that and go, hang on a minute, it, it's got to it's got to wipe its nose, it's got to make sense, uh, otherwise you know we're not we we 
we're not going to we're not going to service the customer we're not going to give it the attention that it deserves you know we're not going to be a reliable partner and and i think that's key to to sort of recalibrating around there yeah we we try and minimize that impact to the customer cuz what is always missed when these new projects kick off is always the cost of a line stop and the penalties that flow down as well and that becomes huge very quickly so ensuring things stay on track is where we have to support the customer with everything we can yeah yeah and i think i think from my point of view for this facility is that you know we could go out and and bid low and and try and grab lots of work but but that's not setting us up for success you know and that's not setting the customer up for success so for, from from my point of view with 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 the strategy that we're we're putting forward we want it to be a long-term approach to the business so that we are um we are building long-term relationship and 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 setting us up to succeed and and that might mean that we we are more selective about the programs we take on or or the customers we work with but but it's a more of a long-term focus all right, group question for y'all now. Um, kind of playing off of what you were just talking about, there might be a little redundancy in this, but I just want to hone another uh, question about just the the elastomer side of this industry and how y'all are dealing with scale. So with the aforementioned growth we've been talking about in the aerospace industry come issues of scale, not only for uh, the OEMs, but also for suppliers like yourselves, elastomer suppliers. So to meet this increased demand, I think it can be easy for suppliers to lean into quick delivery and efficiency to meet those increased demands. Uh, and that, if not done correctly, can be a pitfall that forsakes quality um, to reach those new markets or those new projects. So what are some of the effects that uh, come away from moving away from your core competencies as an elastomer business? What is unique about having to retain quality in uh, you know, this side of the market that Technetics is in? Um, I think, I, I, think it, I mean, it can be. Uh, I'm, people have been very successful at it and, and, have, and have timed, timed it well and, and been able to embrace the opportunity and, and make it complement what they do. Um, so I'm, so no, please, you know, I don't sit here saying that, that, you know, you, you can't expand your product range and, and be successful. But I think it does come from a base of stability, control and structure. So I, I think you have to have those elements. Um, I think that the challenge is if you put yourself in a, a position where you don't have those foundations and you, you step out of there and pick a product lineup that's not, that that's not core that you don't exactly have that expertise to deliver um then it can quite quickly consume a lot of a lot of resource a lot of time um your best your best manufacturing people are tied up on that program because you're trying to get it right which sucks the life out of other stuff you're trying to do in the factory you you know you you can't effectively make reliable commitments and it, it really, uh, for me, it upsets the the balance in 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 the business. So, so, so from that respect, I, I, for for me, it can be that that can be the challenge that you can see with it. From my position, sort of leading the front end of the business in terms of how we implement the new business, we are very fortunate with the experience that we have to draw upon, and we don't just specialize in a certain set of elastomers. 
um, as per most of the competition, we are lucky enough to have experience in dealing with a multitude of elastomers, which gives us that depth of knowledge on all the different processes and how we can manipulate the materials. So we always prepare and do a sort of a full risk analysis before we take on a project. And then once again, once we actually start the project to make sure we are capable and competent in what we do, because at the end of the day, we want customers to come to us before uh, because of the reliable and the delivery of our projects to them. I think for me, if, if you sum up both Rob and Darren's statements there, as long as you pick your battles, you service the hell out of the customer and you deliver what they need, uh, the right quality in the right time scale, then you will always grow your business. Um, your customers will come to you. The business just naturally evolves and people will learn about you in the marketplace. Um, as Darren said, we could go out to everyone. We could try and develop business with everyone. However, you flood your business both from an engineering and manufacturing level to a point where you can't be everything to everybody. Um, therefore, just doing the right things with the right partners becomes the most important thing in growing your business. Sometimes you have to say no if it's not a good fit. But at the end of the day, the customers respect that. And then they'll come to us again with different alternates or maybe they redesign and revise what they can do to help it fit with our applications. I'm glad y'all are bringing up the, the kind of nuanced relationship that's needed um, to really retain these relationships because that's kind of where I wanted to take the back end of this conversation. Uh, so Darren, I'll start with a question for you. Uh, you've been working in the aerospace and engineering industry for 17 years now. Uh, you got a good sense for that kind of relationship building that comes with delivering elastomer and composite products in many different stints in your career. So what have been the biggest learning lessons that you've gleaned from interfacing with OEM customers specifically in aerospace and meeting their needs? How have you tried to do that uniquely and you know what's unique about that kind of relationship in aerospace? So, yeah, so I, I think the, the most I've learned, actually, if, if I'm honest, is the times that I was put in positions where things did not quite go right. So I, I was part of a team or I was I was the representative to the customer um, and things go wrong and projects don't go right. Uh, and, and I and actually working through those situations with customers, actually, a strange way was was probably where I learned the most. Um, about sort of the sort of the the industry and how to work with customers, and actually one lesson I learned from that is be you know be honest, to be open with your customer and let and talk to them about the challenges you've got and be and be forward with what's going on. You know, they want the best thing you can do is tell somebody what the state of play is. It, ultimately, you know they have got they've got other people to report to. They've got customers of their own. And and therefore, if you communicate with with people and and sort of be honest and say where you are and what's going on and keep people updated, then then I find that's the best way. And a lot of the time, what you'll find is you'll find solutions to things because people will come back to you and they'll say, oh, "Okay, all right, didn't realize that. Okay, this is what we could do, or this is my this is my challenge. This is what I need." And by that open communication, very often you'll find a way of of reducing time or removing problems that that were, weren't even probably a problem 
Um, you just you just believed it was, and but but with that but with that clarification of that conversation, you know, you realise what is the challenges, what are the problems, uh, and so for me, one thing that I I think is incredibly important is that communication and that regular contact and that openness. Yeah, I can only agree with Darren. It's amazing when you start having that open, trusting dialogue with with your customer. If you hit a problem, not only can they work a solution around it, quite often they've even had the same problem themselves or it manifests, a problem manifests it in a similar way. And therefore, they've already ridden the pain. They've already gone through that and can often give you insight in how to getting through it. Um, and over the years, many people have always talked as customer being king, where really it should be the partnership between customer and supplier is king. If that is treated right and both sides respect each other and work together in a strong partnership, really there's nothing you can't overcome or solve. Continuing with these kind of career questions, Rob, I've got one for you. Um, so your career landed you a one-year stint developing the Mercedes-AMG V6 F1 engine, uh, which, A, very cool. But B, uh, you know, you got time to hone your craft and explore engineering without the constraints of a budget. It was, you know, the, the big leagues. Then you jumped into managing a growing SEALs supplier company, a uh, totally different environment where, you know, the company could barely keep up with their growth and budget was at the forefront of the conversation. So two very different environments. Then you made your way to Technetics after some some more career changes. How did you learn to combine the kind of high quality engineering that you did with Mercedes, right? Where you get to really go in, you get to develop something that is top notch without the constraints of a budget. So that kind of mentality but bringing it to the pressures of delivering at scale. Uh, and then how do you see that being particularly applicable now in this age of aerospace industry growth? Okay, yep, that's a good question. Um, to be honest, the, the main thing, because at the end of the day, engineering is engineering. Everybody has the skilled engineers that are familiar with the products and the, the industries that, that they're in. The key thing that I learned from so the F1 exposure was the systems behind the engineering, how they support each other, how they make efficiencies. You don't want engineers spending days creating drawings when the system can help them do it in a matter of hours. It's it's making sure you maximize what you have around you by being as effective as possible. The, the, the project management and the systems they put in place are fairly phenomenal because I've seen projects with numerous project managers from the customers within aerospace. However, that entire engine was done with just one project manager because of the systems they put around him, it enabled him to be very effective. So bringing that back into the aerospace industry, where we have more critical designs because there's a lot more lives involved. However, the sort of the speed and the efficiency and the effectiveness of delivering a functioning product at the end of the day has to be taken into account. So there's many systems we can put in place, many interactions between CAD software and MRP software. Um, the project management tools, the levels of communication, the reporting, making sure the right information gets to the right people. And that ultimately helps the customer. So that all, again, goes back as what Darren was informing about earlier, was how we communicate with the customer. So what we do here is make sure the customer is always aware, whether it be good or bad, but as long as they're aware, they can then work with us and resolve issues. 
the last thing any customer wants to find out. And I've had this all the way through my sort of different um, careers in the past is they don't want to find out the bad news when the good news should have already been delivered. They want as much notice as possible because they too have projects and systems they need to arrange around the the information that you're providing as well as the solutions you're providing. So it was a big eye-opener to see how fast things could be done. But then likewise, it's interesting to see what we can bring through. And obviously, budgets are always taken into account, but there's a lot we can bring into aerospace as well. And then, Tom, I've got one last main question for you. Um, you've led high-profile business development teams in different geographic markets, really helping understand their specific needs and challenges and interfacing with clients like Boeing, you know, the the big high-profile ones. So describe the level of scrutiny that can come with maintaining these relationships, uh, especially when, you know, it's it's a product that has to perform in a high-demand environment for a high-profile client. Um, you know, what goes into keeping that relationship feeling authentic, uh, but also understanding the kind of high-profile nature of the relationship as well? I think the key thing is is the deliverables. Um, sales is about having, or commercial is about having a relationship with your customer. But the keystone to that can only be if you're delivering. It's, it's possible to maintain a relationship whilst bad service or bad delivery of a program or parts is going on, but it only lasts for so long. Um, and I know both Rob and Darren have experienced that, and I've experienced it in our past. Therefore, the only scrutiny a customer will put on you is, are you doing the right things to deliver my parts on time and in full? Anything outside of that is a nicety. The relationship, the personal um, communication that goes on between you and the customer um, is all secondary. Um, the key thing in the aerospace industry, and Rob's already intimated already, that by putting somebody on a line stop, the financial penalties are now so extreme, uh, liquidated damages, that really the first concern to any customer is, are you delivering my parts on time? If you're doing that, then the next part is the relationship building and developing a, a um, a rapport with your customer. And then that leads on to the future business, but it's all about deliverables. Yeah. I think, I always think sometimes you, uh, you almost, you almost don't want to be able, you don't want to hear from your customer. If you don't hear from them, generally that means you're doing the right thing. So if they don't call you, if you're not, you know, if you've got a, a time where it's very, very quiet, generally that means you're doing the right thing. You know, you're delivering stuff on time and it's, and it's quiet. And in some respects, it's it's boring, and that's good. That's what you want. You know, you want to deliver your stuff on time. You know, you you meet and you talk about the constructive and the strategic things, and you're not spending time talking about problem resolution. You know, resolving this issue, the delivery, the quality. You know, it's 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 just getting to a point where the communication is less frequent but more positive. Uh, and I think you know that's when I think that's when you feel like you know you're you, you you've got it right. I I can echo uh, Darren's sentiment there. There's a number of customers that I've seen both in Europe and in the USA, and when you get to meet your 
representative of their their business uh, manager, and the manager turns around and says, "Do you know what? I've really not heard a lot about you. That's a good thing. It tends to show that in our industry, um, our competition are talked about more than technetics are, and not from a good point of view." All right, Tom, Rob, Darren. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast so far. We've got one last group question here for y'all to give your final thoughts and contextualize all of this into some advice for the industry. Uh, obviously, you know, Technetics wants to stay on top, but uh, it would never hurt to give some advice to the rest of the industry uh, on how to basically, you know, lock in that same kind of customer-centric growth that Technetics has managed to maintain. So, if you each had to sum it up into one key piece of insight, what can other companies in a similar dynamic uh, to Technetics, and that dynamic is supplying essential manufactured products for demanding environments and linked to a growing industry. So I think we're seeing that a lot in several different manufacturing industries. It's not just aerospace specific. So if you had to sum up uh, one key piece of insight for companies in that similar dynamic, what can they learn from how your company has approached staying relevant and of high caliber and of consistent growth in that kind of situation and dynamic? I would say, listen to the customer and don't be afraid to say no. Love it. Short and sweet. For me, it's about openness, transparency, and delivering on what you've put forward. And if you can't, it then goes back to having that straightforward, honest conversation with your customer and working together to resolve the issues. Yeah, I think the guys have. I think the guys have got it. Really, I mean, there's, there's not a lot I can add to that. But you know, open communication. Be honest. Don't be afraid to say no. Be responsive um, and and talk. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that is key. And and stick to your stick to your core core values and your strengths. I think I think that's where you got to be. And, and constantly reevaluate that. You know, you, I think you you've got to constantly challenge yourself and reevaluate that. All right, y'all. That does it for this episode of Getting Technetical. Thank you again for joining us all the way from the UK. We've been chatting with Darren Conway, Rob Payton and Tom Ludwell from Technetics. All three of you, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and giving us your insights on this uh, on this really timely topic. I appreciate it and looking forward to chatting, hopefully, again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you to you. Thanks for your time, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Getting Technetical. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to technetics.com. That's spelled T-E-C-H-N-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Again, technetics dot com. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.